but you really know that you've been a missionary for a long time when you marvel at the cleanliness of gas station restrooms. You know you've been. <laughs> well, I hope you are like us. We, uh, we enjoy serving the Lord. Have you ever been around people they don't think Christians are supposed to have fun? Yeah, they never smile and they just, well, we're not that way. We believe that we Christians have more reasons to rejoice in the Lord and have fun and smile and laugh than anyone else in the world. And before I get into any deeper into this, we have a table also back in the, just as you come in there with some literature and things. And the only one thing I'll mention back there, and you all get one of these too, uh, this is the International Bible Ministry to the Nations that BMI Dr. James Ray and, and his wife put out. And they do this two or three times a year. But in the back of this, there's several copies back there. In the back, there's, a, there's an article written about Linda, my wife. And it's been written by Mrs. Ray. And she calls it the greatest story ever told in Africa. But she says... So she was having lunch. I was traveling, and I'm gone a lot. She goes with me a lot, but I was traveling. So Mrs. Ray was having lunch with Linda, and she said, Are you afraid at night? I asked my friend Linda as we were having lunch. Seemed like a sensible question to me because her husband was out of town and she was alone. She looked amused, laughed, and answered, After Africa? <laughs> well, we spent... We spent about 20 years of our lives in Africa. Actually, we went to France originally because a lot of Africa is French-speaking. I mean, the whole northern part and then countries from Senegal and Togo and on down to Ivory Coast and the Congo, two Congos and uh, many countries. And so we spent a year and a half studying French. Je peux prêcher en français. Le mois prochain, je vais prêcher en Canada en français. Uh, I'll interpret for myself. <clears throat> I said I could preach in French. In fact, next month I'll be up in Montreal in uh, French-speaking Canada, and I'll preach the missions conference there in French. So we spent a year and a half studying French and moved to our African country from there, and not one neighbor we had spoke French. <laughs> oh, man. That's the, so uh, you had to know French there because the road signs were French and all the government paperwork. But uh, Africans, all, all Africans speak three or four languages or more. I've never, we've never ever met an African that speaks one language. And they just, they don't go to school for it. They just grow up around it. So we, uh, we went to the country of Senegal. And from the first day, my neighbors would come. They would say, As-salamu alaykum. And I would say, Je ne comprends pas. I don't understand. They would say, Mbajam and gam. I would say, Je ne comprends pas. Very brilliant conversation because I didn't understand the word, but they love to talk. It takes 15 minutes to greet somebody there, and it has to do with God. Well, if you do that every day, you've got to learn it. So we just jump right in, and we have two little kids then, and we have three more. We have some real true Afro-Americans. <clears throat> uh, anyway, our kids were born and grew up in Africa, and uh, we tell folk we had more fun than a barrel of monkeys. We ate them. <laughs> Sorry about that, but uh, we did. <clears throat> and I, I got to get into what I'm going to preach here shortly. But uh, we spent 16 years in a Muslim country. And 
most Americans don't get it. They think Muslim countries, didn't they chop your head off and didn't they hate you? Well, actually not. Uh, they were Muslim people, but they were very friendly. They were outgoing. They were hospitable. You go out to a village, uh, everyone there was a Muslim. They were going to feed us. And I would ask the chief permission to talk with the people, and they'd bring them all in. And, and uh, their, their conversations and their greetings have to do with God. So you can't be there and not witness. And they would ask me, you know, they would ask me, how can you be a Christian <clears throat> and you have a wife and children? Because they thought, only, they thought Christians were priests and nuns for friends. They had never seen a real live Christian that had a family and loved their kids. And it just gave us open doors to witness there. So we spent 16 years there and thought we'd live and die there. How many of you found that God has a strange way of sometimes moving you a little bit? All right. Uh, we thought we'd live and die there. We'd invested our lives in French and Wolof and knowing our people. And <clears throat> again, our kids grew up there. And then we were asked, would you pray about going to another French-speaking country? And there was a reason for that. We had 17 young American missionary kids, families, who felt called to go. It was called Zaire back then, the old Belgian Congo. So I gave the Christian answer. We'll pray about it. <laughs> Meaning, there's no way in the world we're going to do that. <laughs> but I went on a trip with a bunch of young people, <clears throat> and I thought I knew what I was getting into. The Senegal's flat, dry, barren, Sahara, 110 degrees, dry, no rain hardly. Uh, the Congo is mountains and jungle and crocodiles and hippopotamus and snakes everywhere and so I went on this trip with all these young people, and we rode for 48 hours on the top of this big old truck left over from World War II, a troop carrier, loaded down with barrels of fuel, trunks on top of the barrels, suitcases on top of that, and we sat on top of that for 48 hours. We got out in these mountains and jungle. We slept five nights of that trip on a sandbar out in the middle of this huge river, the Kasai River. Had three young ladies on that trip. Now, I don't, there wasn't a bush on the sandbar. Now, think about that. You know, what, what does that have to do with anything? Just think about that a little bit. <laughs> it's very important. But anyway, uh, God used that trip to change my heart, and we went from Senegal thousands of miles to a different country. There are 400 languages in the Congo. There are five major ones. Um, so Wolof was, we couldn't, nobody spoke Wolof there. They did speak French if they were educated. <clears throat> so we moved out into a village, 500 kilometers, that's 300 miles, out in the middle of the jungle, hundreds of miles from electricity. Ladies, think about it. From our, from our house in the village, it was two kilometers down a mountain to water, to take a bath, wash your clothes, or anything you want to do like that. Well, we, we lived there. We just got there when fighting broke out, and, and 10,000 foreigners, foreigners fled the country, and we just got there. We didn't feel like we could leave. And uh, for the next six months, nobody knew we were dead or alive. We got no money, no letters. We had two grown kids, one married, one in college, that didn't know we were alive for all that time. People sometimes say, well, Brother Godfrey, how did y'all live? And I have to admit, 
Sometimes I want to jump up and down and scream and say, have y'all ever heard of God? I mean, if God calls you to some place, God knows exactly where he's calling you and what you need. And uh, Look, those African Christians would walk for 20, 30, 40 miles and bring us a handful of eggs, a big pineapple two feet tall, a back leg off an antelope, whatever, bananas. It, you know, God, they, took, they fed us. <clears throat> let, let me tell you one, one little story. I got stories I'll be telling you all week. Let me just tell you one, and then I'm going to preach. And I won't be long. How many of you know preachers lie? No, not. not okay. No, I won't be long. I promise you. I promise you. I'm not. If I wouldn't tell stories, I'd be really short. But, uh, but you've got to hear these stories. Now, listen, I tell the stories on purpose. Because I believe you're here tonight. You believe the Bible. And the Bible tells us we ought to go in all the world and preach the gospel. Right. So I don't think I have to really convince you too much of that. But I want you to understand when these missionaries go out and you pray for them and you support them and you help them, you're not wasting your time and your money. That's right. Amen. All right, let me, let me tell my story. American missionary family went out to this village I just told about out in the jungle. In 1920, they had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They had never seen a white man. And they learned the language and they started teaching and preaching. And they prayed a big prayer and they said, Dear God, would you please help us to see 10,000 people come to know you before we die or you come back? Well, they worked there through the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. In 1956, that missionary, Anton Anderson, graduated of Moody Bible Institute way back in the day, in the teens, when he died in 1956, the American government sent a man up to this little village in the middle of nowhere with an old-fashioned people counter, a clicker, and they counted over 6,000 people that came out to that little village to that missionary's funeral because they had reached over 10,000 people. And then his son and his son's wife and his wife and some others, a small group of missionaries stayed there until 1960, they had a revolution break out and missionaries were killed and that group had to flee from the Congo and came back to America. They couldn't go back there. They didn't know what they were going to do. And Dr. Lee Robertson got a group of pastors together in 1960 and that was how BIMI, Baptist International Missions, got started to help those missionaries. They couldn't go back to the Congo. Just a handful and then over for years we've had a thousand missionaries scattered around the world. Well, anyway, what I just told you, I was a BIMI missionary. I didn't know that story. And I went to that village. I didn't know that story until I got out there. And here's what I want you to know. Those missionaries had to flee in 1960. We went back in 1990. So 30 years, there were no missionaries there. They were begging us to come back. And we got back out there. And we're talking again, hundreds of miles out in the middle of nowhere. Folks, there were 12 churches in a 50-mile area out around, along this big river. There were 12 churches that would have 1,000 people in church every Sunday. Every one of them would have 10 or 12 or 15 village churches all around that area. And none of them had pastors. Two of the big churches, the pastors had died and they didn't have a pastor. And they were just begging, would you please come back? And, and we did. We didn't, we didn't know all that story until we got there. And I had the privilege of going back. We did. Linda and I and our three younger children uh, out in the middle of nowhere. 
And we, we were caught up in fighting for all of that time until 1993. We ended up being evacuated out, and I became pastor of my home church down in South Carolina. But I've been around the world since then. But some time ago, it's been a few years now back, I, got, I had the privilege of going back there. I had not been back to that village for 21 years. Eric Bowman, who's our young Africa director, went with me. And it's a, it's a killer trip. You fly for two days and then you ride for two days and two nights up and down roads in an old beat-up Toyota Land Cruiser. And <clears throat> uh, we're packed in like sardines. We had Afri the African pastor and his family and a bunch of others. And Brother Bowman, all our suitcases. And so two days and two nights we're riding in this vehicle. And I wasn't feeling good. I, I thought I had something. The doctor told me I had something. one thing. And it wasn't that. When I got back, I found out I had a half-inch kidney stone in this right, in this left kidney. But anyway, I got there. So that second night, we're riding alone in the dark, no streetlights, no electricity. And all of a sudden, I started hearing a noise. It wasn't a harsh noise. It was, I just didn't know what it was. And I said to the African pastor, Pastor Mukelku, what is that? They call me Pastor Jonas. He said, Pastor Jonas, they know you're coming. And we would <clears throat> we'd drive in this village in the dark. And the Christians would be lined up down both sides of the road as far as you could see them. With palm fronds. <clears throat> seeing hymns. <clears throat> and we'd pull into that village and... I would get out and I would have talk with them a little bit and I would pray, pray with them and, and the love on them a little bit, get back into the vehicle, go to the next village. It was the same thing. Well, when we finally got, it was getting late, midnight-ish one night. We got out where we used to live. You go down a mountain, cross a river, going up the other side of the mountain in four-wheel drive about two or three mile an hour. <clears throat> Halfway up the mountain, they were waiting. I mean... Hundreds of people were they were they were waiting, and I knew it would be emotional. But I hadn't. You know what I was doing by then? <clears throat> I'm a marine. I was blubbering like a little child. And uh, we got up to the village and got out, and they brought two chairs, and people kept coming in, and I talked with them. And then the next day, Brother Bowman and I. I was going to show him around the village. Now, he doesn't speak French, nor Kikongo, which we spoke there. He speaks Kiswahili. He was over in Tanzania and Kenya. But anyway, I was taking him around the village the next day to introduce him to people that I'd known all those years back there. <clears throat> and they would say, Pastor Jonas, come over here. Come over here. You have to meet my family. This is our daughter, Bonita. Well, i got to tell you, our three kids that live with us out there were Bonita, Lydia, and Robert. Pastor, come over here. You have to meet our daughter. This is our daughter, Bonita. We go to the next place. Pastor, you got to come over here. This is our daughter, Lydia. Pastor, this is, this is Papa Robert. This is the, every man and woman there. A woman's called Mama, whatever. Even little kids, it was Mama Bonita and Mama Lydia and Papa Robert. And they call Linda Mama Pastor. <clears throat> anyway. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of, they're not little African kids now, but African kids of all ages named Benita, Lydia, and Robert. Uh, after I came home, Pastor McElko's daughter, Mylene, who played with our kids, they were just little kids then, 
she had another baby, and he sent me a WhatsApp and said, uh, Pastor, Mylene just had a new baby boy, and they named him Jonas Godfrey. I, man, that's cruel and unusual punishment. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> I'm just telling, not, I'm telling you my stories, but I hope you're getting my heart in this. Why don't you do what you do? I mean, why don't you come to church? Why don't you love the Lord? Why don't you help missionaries? Why don't you love those missionaries you send out? Well, because God's going to use them to, what I call, change their world. Go to Laos. They need the gospel. Or Thailand or Vietnam, any of those places. In fact, you know, the truth is, there's no way, nowhere you can go that people don't need the gospel, including Whitehall, Montana. Well, that's my story for tonight. I'm not finished with stories. I got a whole bunch of them. After 20 years in Africa, nine years pastoring, I ended up. We were asked to work in the Far East. I told behind my folk they lost their mind. You want an African to go to China and Japan? That that. Didn't, but 10 years we worked with our missionaries in the Far East, and the last 10 kind of all over the world. But I want you to open your Bible tonight to the Book of Romans, chapter 15. Now, this is not a typical missionary passage. You know, there are places. Have you ever heard a sermon preached on Matthew chapter 28? Great commission. Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Hey, look, those are all great. Romans chapter 10, those are all great passages. This is not one that's maybe quite as well known, but I think if you'll listen tonight, I'm just, I'm going to read the verses, and then I'm going to give you some simple thoughts. But Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to start reading in verse number 8. And Paul's writing to the Romans. Now I say that Jesus Christ was the minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee, to thee among the Gentiles and sing thy name. Now look, that's a, that is a quote from the book of Psalms in chapter 18. So Paul is quoting the Old Testament. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43. And again... Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And that's a quote from Psalm 117, verse 1. And again, you get the idea Paul's trying to impress upon them. Missions didn't start with the Great Commission. It started in the heart of God in the very beginning. And here he goes through all these passages. Verse number 12, Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise up to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that uh, you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written them more boldly unto you in some sort uh, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Now let me just stop there to say, you see what Paul's doing here? Paul's saying God wants everybody to be saved. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person or if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're from Southeast Asia or from Africa or Europe 
or Australia or New Zealand or South America. It doesn't matter. God wants everybody to be saved. And uh, Paul is minister. Now, uh, let me skip down then to verse number 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. And verse number 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company, and uh, I'm going to stop my reading there and just point out a few things. I believe that the book of Romans, now how many of you love the book of Romans? Boy, I'm telling you, the doctrine, uh, salvation, sanctification, I mean, Paul lays it all out in the book of Romans. But I believe the book of Romans really is a missionary prayer letter. Because if you go back, and I'm not going to give all of that, but chapter 1 in the first 17 verses is an expression of a missionary's purpose and plan. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And uh, chapter 1 and verse 18 through chapter 11, Paul lays out the whole doctrinal basis for it uh, and gives us that clearly. Chapters 12 through 14 give us some principles of faith and church order. But chapter 15, and you can read the whole chapter, I just read part of it, the main reason Paul gave for writing the book, I believe, and it is the rationale for sending missionaries. Why do we do it? Uh, you know, folk, I, I'm sure you all understand this. The reason that I'm a Baptist and the reason I think you probably are a Baptist is because we Baptists believe that we, our, our uh, faith and practice is to be founded on the written word of God. We don't pull stuff out of the blue. We don't make it up. If, if you ask me a question, what do you believe about so-and-so? When a Muslim asks me a question, I would say, uh, do you really want a, answer, a true answer to that? You won't be offended if I open my Bible and tell you why we say that. And we're Baptists because not that, but we Baptist folk believe that the only authority for faith, faith and practice is the Bible. Well, it's the same thing about sending forth missionaries. So Paul gives us the reason for writing and it's evident here, Paul believed that way too many people have never heard the truth of the gospel. They're doomed to die without hearing, spend eternity apart from God. And Paul believed that the whole Bible was the church's authority for doing that. So he quotes, just in the Old Testament... The Old Testament was broken up into three major parts, the Jewish people as they read it. They had the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now the verses I read to you tonight prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Paul saw that the gospel was to be given out in all three parts of the Old Testament. The Old Testament law, most people would never think about, but it's, it's there just as clearly. Why did God call Abraham? Not just to be a blessing to Abraham, but so that all the world would know there's a God in heaven. And the, the Psalms, the writings, and the prophets, they all teach us that 
we should be sending forth missionaries. And Paul himself writes to these Romans, these Roman Christians, and said, I need help. Paul wanted to evangelize Spain. Now, if you know any, you know the story. Paul, Paul had already crossed the world. He was the missionary of missionaries. Most, most of what we do today as missionaries, we get by following what Paul did in the book of Acts in his church epistles. Uh, Paul wanted to go. He had a burden that he couldn't get away from to go to Spain. Why Spain? It was the farthest point away in his world at that time. It was a place that people didn't know the gospel. It was a place he was, he was convinced they needed desperately to hear. Paul had a great pioneer spirit who longed to reach out beyond the existing effort in occupied area. Now thank God when God calls somebody to plant a church in America, I, I praise God for that. But I thank God when he's given a burden to someone to go to some place you know, we talk about the, like the 1040 window, and I understand that. But the Great Commission didn't say go in all the 1040 windows. It said go in all the world. Yeah. And that means that every little island and big cities and all over the world, Paul had a great pioneer spirit. He wanted to invade some new territory. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'm, I'm in leadership at BIMI, and this is part of the fun part of my job. In recent days, Recent months, I've had two pastors call me, one from Washington State, one from Maryland, and say, our church is really, God's blessing us. Our missions giving is going up. We just have a burden to support a missionary in every country of the world. Now, that, that probably won't ever happen, but th that's not a bad goal to have. And they say, Brother Godfrey, I'm going to send you a list of the missionaries we already support. Would you look over your list of missionaries at BIMI and send me a list of missionaries going to countries where we don't have anybody? Man, I get to go through the list. And, and you have to have somebody to do it because we can't put all of our missionaries on our website. Just like it's for safety reasons. If they're working in Israel or several other places in the world, you, you're not going to put their names up there for their safety. So Paul had a burden to go to invade new territory. Uh, can I say to you, there are a few like that today. Almost every week we have some young missionary family coming in to do what we call a departure interview. That means they got their support raised and we come, they come in for one day and we just walk them through. Have you gotten this done? Have you got a will and where is it? And have you done this? And who's picking you up at the airport? And, and there are a few like Paul that have a, they've got a passion. They've got a calling to go to some place that nobody else is going there. And there are a lot of places you know, this, you hear people all the time talking about, well, we can't go there because of closed doors. Look, closed doors are not the problem. Yeah. It's the open doors yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And even some of the closed doors, they're not really closed. <laughs> uh, they're what we call create creative entry countries. Because there are ways to get in there. So anyway, there, there are a few like the Apostle Paul but let me change that statement and leave out one tiny little word. It's only one letter. There are a few like him, but there are few like him. How many of you are like me? I, I just, down in my heart, I know 
I don't just think it. I know that God is calling some folk in America. And God's calling. But God, just like He won't force us to be saved, He won't force us to answer His call either. And there are a few people today that have a passion to go to some place that God's called them to, and they can't wait to get there. My questions today to American college students and churches are these. Where are the great hearts? Where are the David Livingstons and Adonine Judsons and the uh, uh, Hudson Taylors and so on? Where are the brave? Where are the willing? Young people say to me, I've taught. I didn't set out to teach. I never dreamed. Even now I get West Coast and Ambassador. They'll call me, won't, won't beg me to come and teach, and I, I'll say I can't do it. I travel all the time. I can't do it. And they'll say, Brother Godfrey, where could you be around a thousand young people that want to serve God? And I can't say no, and I do it. And I about kill my crazy self. And uh, from early January to just a few weeks ago, the end of April, I taught at West Coast. And I crossed the country six times. I, I'd fly. I flew all night. I taught one Tuesday morning. Did videos on Tuesday afternoon for the Thursday I was going to miss. Flew all night Tuesday night to Atlanta and then to Connecticut. Got in there in the afternoon. And the pastor picked me up, but he said, well, there's another missionary coming on a later flight. We waited on him. By the time we got to church, it was time to set up, and I preached Wednesday night and didn't go to bed until Wednesday night after church, and I'd gotten up at 4.30 Tuesday morning. I'm just telling you, I'm crazy. But when young people say to me, and I love being around young people, it keeps me young, uh, I will come if y'all will build the roads and make it easy, and I'll say, no, you won't. No, if, you, if you're going to go just because it's going to be easy, yeah. nobody would come to Whitehall, Montana. <laughs> no, I love you, but just who's going to come out here and live in 40 degrees below zero and the wind blowing? You know who will do it? Somebody that God's put it on their heart to do it. And that's what Lynn and I, for the last long years now, we get to go out with our missionaries all over the world. I preach down over 40 different countries of the world. I can preach in French, Wolof, Kikongo, uh, Spanish, and Japanese, and I do okay in English. <laughs> Some, I think I do, anyway. Uh, you know what the missionaries are telling us? A couple of things. One is they're saying, Brother God, don't send us any more snowflakes. Don't send us somebody's going to quit. But what they, the other thing they're saying to us, would you please go back to America and tell them we got to have help? Yeah. I mean, we're out with missionaries that are in their 80s and some of them 90s and later 70s, and they're, they've been there and they don't want to leave. And they're saying, go back, would you please go back and tell some young people we need some help? And then we go to places like Japan, and, and the missionaries there will take us out and say, Brother Godfrey, this, that right here, this is a city of a million people, and there's not a Bible-preaching church in that city. Would you go back and tell them, we need some help? So, I'm working on this. I'm almost to the end. You know what Paul did? He wrote a prayer letter. He had a worldwide vision. He was concerned and consumed with passion to reach every man, woman, and Young person. He wasn't like a church not so long ago. A pastor called from a church up in Maine. And uh, 
He said he, they didn't support missionaries. They believed that charity started at home. Well, that's just simply, I'm trying to be good, okay? That's just pitiful is what that is. Because our commission is, in the, by the way, the beauty of the way you all do it and, and we do it. You could do all of it at the same time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, not the most part. And you can't go to all those places, but you can reach your Jerusalem and you can help those going to those other places. And Paul wrote a letter to these Roman Christians. He had a strong expectation to have the help and the fellowship and the prayers and the support of other believers in his attempt to go where God had called him. And he wanted the church of Rome to approve his mission in brotherly love to join him in it, to support the mission with their material gifts. In fact, the term here used, one time I read it, and there's another verse that says basically the same thing. Here was Paul's term. Paul said, would you, you folk in Rome, I'm going, I've got to go to Spain. Would you bring me forward on my journey? Well, that, that is used six different times in the New Testament, that phrase. It's almost a technical thing term about supporting mission. In the third John, uh, John writing to Gaius said, bring them forward on their journey after a godly sort. So what does it mean to bring a missionary forward on their journey? Well, let me tell you what I think it means. Anything that we can do to help them get there to do what God's called them to do. So it may mean monthly support. It certainly means prayer, but it may be mean more than that. Last week, in fact, Sunday night, we were still in western Pennsylvania. I just finished the conference up there. We drove up there. We go four hours Sunday night after church and eight hours on Monday to get home to wash clothes to come out here. But uh, bringing them forward on their journey, we had three young missionary families with us up there. Let me ask you a thinking question, ladies. After the missions conference, what does the missionary wife do on Monday morning? She usually has to find a laundromat to wash clothes, right? Do you know that bringing them forward on their journey might mean, ma'am, could I, do you need to wash some clothes? Could you, you know, I can help you with that. Guys who are mechanically inclined, maybe walk around the missionary's car and look at their tires or whatever. I'm not going to give you a whole list except we were down in Georgia I got too many stories. We're down in Georgia, and I was preaching at a conference, and there was a family, a missionary family there. They had 12 children. <laughs> and I, I'm smart Alec, You know, I got this mischievous nature in me. So I got up that night and preached, and I said, you know, the man with 12, with the 12 kids, he's more content than the man with $12 million. Because the man with $12 million, he wants some more. The man with 12 kids. (laughs) That that missionary ruined my joke. He raised his hand. I mean, right in the service, he raised his hand. He said, Brother Godfrey, we're expected number 13. (laughs) Do you know what his wife does on Monday? You know what his wife does on Tuesday? You know what his wife does on Wednesday and Thursday and I'm having fun, but look. 
Would you bring me forward on my journey after a godly sword? So that's what you do every time you help a missionary get to the field and stay there. I've been at it a long time. I remember my early days of going out. I remember churches that we went to and they took us on for support and they prayed for us. Look, the reason a missionary goes to a church is not just to get money. If that was the case, they're in the wrong place. <laughs> they'd go to the Lions Club or somewhere else, but write a request to the government. Missionaries don't just come to your church to get support. They come to partner with you because you can't go to Laos, but they can. And you can't go to uh, Colombia, but they can. And I read this, these verses tonight. Paul is writing them and he says, listen, listen, I've been called. I have a burning desire to go. And I need, I need a local church who will help me to do this. Sounds a lot like deputation to me. Some people say, well, the poor missionaries have to travel. It's the best thing ever happens to young missionaries to go on deputation. Because God brings them with you all so that you hear their burden and you help them. You see, you have a preacher, but you have a sender to get the preacher to where he's going. So anything we can do to get them there, that's what we're going to be looking at this week. Uh, I'm not an arm twister. I'm, I don't tell sad stories to make you cry to try to get you to do what is the right thing to do. But I do believe from the bottom of my heart that the Great Commission is clear that every one of us ought to be willing to go. And that doesn't mean God's going to send all of us to other places, but God does make it so that we can all be part of it. And dear Father, I thank you for the privilege to be with these folk, with their pastors.